Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Howdy, Becky. John, what's up? Hey, we, you know, I love when we geek out about our guests. I know. <laughs> Today our we're in for a awesome. treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good human right here. So what is the number one question we kept saying in 2020? Like, how did we get here? You know, today we're going to unpack that in a huge sense of like where, how is fundraising the way it is today? And why did we get to this place? And what are we going to do about it? And the man of the hour is Gabe Cooper. He's the founder and CEO of Virtuous, which is a really progressive CRM that looks at the world completely differently which is why we love them. We align. Thank you for that. So much (laughs) alignment with values and just kind of their mission. So I'm really excited to unpack this conversation with Gabe today, but just a little bit of your background, Gabe, and then I'll kick it to you to kind of fill in some of the dots that I leave out. But, you know, he had a really amazing career as a leader at a large nonprofit through the 2000s, went on to create some successful apps that won Apple Awards, which, you know, I'm an Apple fanboy, so it's not easy to win those Apple Awards. Um, But he has really stepped fully into serving this nonprofit space with Virtuous. And I think one of the paramount things that they've pushed out is this book called Responsive Fundraising. And I want to talk today about what responsive fundraising is, but it's a different way of thinking about things, but it completely jives with so much of the values that Becky and I really want to embody in the movements that we inspire you to create too. So Gabe, would you share, you know, a little bit about your story and what got you to start in a CRM? I mean, that's not what everybody thinks about doing. No kidding. It's a fundraiser (laughs) for sure. No. Yeah. So, uh, I got that reaction a lot. Like you're going to start a CRM for nonprofits and people just look at me like I'm nuts. But the (laughs) reality is I was a software developer by trade early in my career. And, and love building things and kind of had this existential crisis. Like I want to create good in the world. And so I went to work for a large nonprofit and then quickly realized, oh my gosh, nonprofits move really slow. I want to move really fast. And so for the last 15 years, I've been a, an entrepreneur and um, worked to serve nonprofits and helping them build out um, solutions for giving. I think in the midst of that, I kind of caught the generosity bug And so I think two things happened. Number one, I realized, man, these nonprofits are creating a lot of good in the world and and generosity is imperative for having them do that. But almost as importantly, I realized generosity has the ability to change the heart of the giver. And so it it forms us in some really, really cool ways that I don't think everybody fully appreciates. It just makes the world a better place when we're able to give. And so there's this great symbiotic relationship between donors and nonprofits. And I got excited about and so virtuous was was sort of birthed out of how do I empower more of this in the world, right? How do I create uh, more impact through these amazing nonprofits? And how do I change the heart of givers um, and turn them toward generosity? I'm already sucked in. That yep. it's very much feels like our stories of wanting to infuse good in the world. So I kind of teased that, you know, I wanted to talk about how did we get here? Um, y'all have done a lot of study on this as an organization. So I'd love if you would kind of share what y'all call the generosity crisis that's happened and just kind of unpack that for us and, and talk about it a little bit. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a good question. We kind of see there's a little bit of a generosity bubble right now 
especially in the U.S. And what I mean by that is giving as a percentage of GDP hasn't really dropped that much. We we give a lot as $420 billion, $430 billion, whatever it was last year, um, which is great. But I think the unseen thing is that more and more of that pie is being sucked up by major donors, like the amazing philanthropists of the world, like Bill and Melinda Gates are stepping in to give more and more and more money. But what we're seeing is mid and low tier donors, like the rank and file folks in this country, they're more and more opting out of giving to nonprofits. And um, we kind of believe that that's, uh, you know, there's probably several factors, but one of the ones we believe is the biggest is just the way nonprofits have always done fundraising. And so it's built on sort of this 1950s model of, hey, we send the same direct mail appeal to everybody on our file every month. We send our email newsletter four times a year and everybody gets the same thing. And for your typical donor, they're surrounded by personalized messages every day. Like I've had my Strava app on my phone open this morning. It tells me that some guy named Eric in my neighborhood just did a longer run than me and it drives me crazy. So now <laughs> I want to go out and do a longer run, right? But hyper-personal, right? Every, our, my newsfeed is hyper-personal. Facebook, Domino's Pizza knows what I want to order before I order it. That we live in a world that's hyper-personalized, community-driven. Nonprofits haven't crossed this chasm, even though giving is one of the most personal things we will ever do. And what we're finding is because nonprofits aren't able to connect personally with donors at scale, they're sort of losing momentum with their rank and file donors. And we think that's a disservice to the nonprofits, but it's a disservice to those donors who deeply want to see impact and don't want to have a sort of uh, institutional direct mail appeal that doesn't seem to know anything about them be a wet blanket on generosity, right? So that's, that's sort of the crisis that we see. Okay, I'm just here to say... <laughs> Yes. And, and I feel like everybody in the uh, audience that goes, here goes Becky. She's back on the soapbox. But I'm yes, it over to you. we have been saying this for, I mean, almost a decade. Like the, the pain points of nonprofits. And I think you also hit on one at the very beginning, which is the pace at which we move is too slow. Painful. We are in a digital world. And the model that was set up for fundraising, the tried and true model that was built, you know, 60 years years ago did not take into account the digital world, the virtual world that we are living in now, how quickly people can get messages, how contoured the messages are, how they're trying to find community, how they're trying to find purpose and cause and like-minded individuals. And so, I mean, step one, if you are not in the digital space in a very prolific way, then you are missing out. And we, and I, I mean, our first core value of this company is everyone matters. And if you believe that everyone matters, not just our major gift donors, not just the people who are pouring into the largest pie of GDP, um, which by the way, it's still really small, right? Isn't it like four percent or something nonprofits 2%. like is it two percent five 2.5 i think yeah, yeah i mean it's just a dismal side i wish that it was bigger but the only way that we can galvanize a bigger piece of that pie is we cannot be so reliant on that very top um section of the pyramid you know that was again built 60 years ago and so this really has resonance with us and it begs the question of how are we innovating how are we getting into those spaces and i think that your company is doing a lot with that and i really appreciate that you're not just delivering content that you're actually doing research 
and asking questions because that is such an important component of it. And so I, I, I'm just really curious, you know, you've authored this, co-authored this book, Responsive Fundraising, um, be, and it's really about building authentic relationships with donors while you leverage technology. Can you kind of give us a high level on that and what you've learned in your research? Yeah, um, there's a ton of great stuff. Really, it centers around this idea that to build a personal relationship with somebody, um, it requires that you listen first, you connect with them personally, and then you suggest the right thing at the right time. And what we found was most nonprofits have a really hard time um, listening to donors at scale. You know, with their top 50 donors, they know that person's cat's name. They know their kid's name. They know what they care about. They know everything about them. For the next 10,000 people, they, they're, they're just a name in a database. And so those people feel like an ATM machine instead of a person, right? And so listening just requires us to find ways through digital and data or whatever we have available, surveys, phone calls, whatever it is to get to know those other people way better. And so once we listen well, and I say this joke, my team gives me a hard time, but my grandma always used to say, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? And so I think as nonprofits, (laughs) That has to be our posture. We have to sort of listen more than we talk and actually make an effort to get to know folks at scale. So the next one is is connect. Part of the issue here is historically nonprofits that haven't leveraged technology just thought, man, I got three people on staff. I am strapped for time. There's no way I can build a relationship with 5,000 people. Like totally agree in the old world, that is absolutely true, but it's... Amazon, I'll wake up this morning and Amazon will tell me exactly what princess movie I need to order for my daughter. It's not like Amazon has a full-time staff member following me around to figure that (laughs) out. They're using data and technology to deliver a personalized experience. And so if we're using technology well, we can begin connecting with people at scale way better than we have in the past. And then finally suggest is, is we have to suggest the right thing at the right time which by the way is more than just money. Nonprofits get the money thing because if you've been in a nonprofit a while, you realize, you know, you have somebody that just gave you a gift of $50,000 and the next month you ask them for 50 bucks a month and you get, you know, your fundraising person gets an angry phone call. Like, why the heck did you ask me for 50 bucks? I just gave you $50,000. So we all know that sort of suggestion, but what we underappreciate is seeing people as more than just checkbooks and asking them for time, talent, social capital, being willing to be generous with our donors before they're generous to us and really leaning in in more intentional ways. And so what we find is what the nonprofits that are able to do all of those things well, particularly do all of those things well on multiple channels, not just digital, but digital, mail, phone, events, email, all of it, that they see tremendous increases in donor retention, which is probably the biggest problem nonprofits are facing, but increases in acquisition, increases in average gift. When you treat people like people, they just tend to be more generous. And don't we all want to be treated like people? Like I want my my pet nonprofit to see me to yeah. to understand me to know why I'm here why I'm making this gift I think that's a really really great tip that you just gave right there but I know you know, we've got a broad listening base in the nonprofit sector so you we said some jargony words that I think are really important that people are understanding and actually looking at but you're talking about acquiring so that's the first time somebody's coming in the door retaining yeah which I want to double click on this crisis because every year that that study comes out, I think it's Center for Effective Philanthropy or something like this, right? That drops the study. Every year it's like it's ticking down and down and down the retention. 
especially of first-time donors. And what that means, I mean, over time is like if you're not investing in retaining those folks, you're going to have nobody. You're, like, you're really going to wake up with nobody. And so we've got to figure out how to move to the base. And I think you keep saying the, the words, do this at scale. And I, that resonates with me as an entrepreneur mindset too, of like, we've got to think differently. We can't just think one-on-one, but we want to think at scale in a personalized way. How do you do that? How does a nonprofit get started with thinking of automations or whatever you would suggest from that standpoint? Yeah. And I think it's always easier to have handles like very specific sort of use cases for people to understand, but the easiest one is uh, around retention, right? So you're absolutely right. Like 76% of the time, people will give one gift and never give again. 76%. And, and, and the average nonprofit, yeah, the average nonprofit churns out 50% of their donors right now. That's the average across the country. And you go into nonprofits, they're like, well, we just need a big gift to cover the gap, or we just need to acquire all of the donors that we lost. It's like, no, what? Like, let's let's build relationships better so that maybe somebody gives us that second gift, right? <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's actually. And so, so that's where, where things like uh, automation, which you mentioned, um, comes in. So um, a really, really simple place to start with this is just a, a multi-channel welcome series when somebody first gives a gift. So what if, you know, somebody gave a gift and instead of getting a, a direct mail piece 60 days later with a, a welcome insert in it, what if they, right after they gift, they got a text message from somebody in your program team thanking them so much for their gift? What if two days later they got a phone call? What if three days later they got an email that was directly related to the impact of the thing that they gave to? And then what if a few days after that they got a survey so we can deep dive into their interest and so we understand how to communicate with them better in the future? And then what if five days after that they got a postcard in the mail with a picture of a person from the country that they impacted? So now you're talking multiple channel, multiple touch points related to what they gave to and now you can capitalize on that sort of camp high they had, that dopamine rush they got when camp they gave high. originally. <laughs> now you're you're making full use of that and you're drawing them into the cause right away, right after their moment of giving. When just doing that simple thing, a multi-channel welcome series. Like if you don't hear anything else I say today, start doing that today. And what you'll start seeing is like that your retention numbers are going to go through the roof and it changes the dynamic, the financial dynamic of your nonprofit, just doing something as simple as that. So there's there's a million examples like that where personalized automation, data-driven can be transformative in solving some of these problems. And I want to make sure that everyone caught that you're not talking about one medium here. Because when I'm hearing you talk, I mean, I'm thinking, well, the boomer is really going to like that little postcard. But, you know, the yeah. millennial is going to really you know, value a text that comes in immediately and feel seen. And it, and that might be a two second dopamine, you know, Oh, that was nice. And then move on. But it's still something that is going to plant a seed and move on. And I think that's the challenge to our listeners today is maybe there needs to be a broad audit of what are all our communication channels? Where are we and where are we not? And how do we leverage this technology? And there's a lot of free applications, I think out there, you know, we try to be um, an advocate for the tiny nonprofit of, you know, we want you to be able to leverage these incredible strategies in a cost-effective manner. And and I just think that what you just said about a multi-channel welcome series is so smart. I hope people took notes because 
that that when I heard that, that wasn't anything that I felt like has to be overproduced. It's not going to take a ton of time to do those things. And syndication is absolutely going to be key to kind of spread that out. And we are uh, people are going to get sick of us talking about syndication, but it is the <laughs> way to go to to just save your time and to be able to spread your messages to so many more people. And that's what we want to do. And I think that's the way we get ahead of this generosity crisis, which I love the name of that, by the way. Yeah. yeah a couple of things that you said there is people, sometimes you say, we well, hear innovation or some of the stuff we're talking about. They're like, oh, well, that means I need to get a better website and get people going through my online giving form. Well, no, digital is part of it. Yes. More giving is moving digital, but it's being smart about every channel. People hear what I say and they're like, oh, I should cancel direct mail on my gala. No, no, just do them better, do them more personally, you know, be more sophisticated and data-driven about it so you can give people a more real-time personal experience based on their behavior. I, one of my favorite examples, we work with Team Challenge and their, their head of fundraising had just started. They are on uh, our platform, Virtuous, and um, she gave a test gift just to see what would happen. And she got a personalized email from a donor rep down the hall right after her gift that was related to the thing she gave to. And, um, she ran out of the door, ran down the hall and into the office and said, my gosh, that is so responsive. Thank you so much for that email. I can't believe that you're getting to things. You must have just seen my name come through. And she, the, the lady said, what email? And she said, you know, the email you sent me was like, yeah, no, Virtuous does that. I just wrote that email and it automatically plugs in the, your name and the project you gave to and everything like that. And so she's like, yeah, that's amazing. And so and. And again, it, the other important thing here is it doesn't remove the need for people. What it does is it helps free up the time of your staff to do more of the personal stuff you want to do, make more of the phone calls, do more of the lunches. It just helps you do it in a more sophisticated way. Hey friends, taking a quick pause from today's episode to say that we just love to connect with you. And the best way to do so is to join the good community. It's free. Just head on over to weareforgood.com slash hello and we can connect with all the resources, tips, tools, and show notes to help you do more for your mission. We can't wait to get to know you. Now, let's get back to this awesome, feel-good conversation. But I think everything you're speaking to and what Becky just said, it's just like we've got to stop viewing it in just single channels of how we're connecting. But what is the omni-channel at all times and all methods? Because people yeah. are looking at what you're posting online and on your website and at live events and all the things. Um, so... Something that I think is is interesting that y'all call out, and I think was it Accenture, the big firm that affirmed this with stats of how much is just lost by people switching to a different brand. But these brands are building, you know, deep relationships because of the personalization. Like you want to feel known by your wireless carrier, right? You want to feel known by whoever you're doing business with. So I'm just curious if you could talk about, you know, how you've seen this grow engagement by just people feeling this personal is experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't take flipping on the news more than about 20 seconds before you realize like trust is eroding, particularly trust in large institutions, whether it's it's large corporations or governments or even large nonprofits mishandling situations. Mm -hmm. We're living in a generation of of eroding trust and sort of fear or distrust of large institutions. The way to fight back against that is to treat people like people engage in relationship. And so the more personal you can be with somebody, the more you're able to build trust. So the same way that somebody flips brands, 
you know, based on a lack of trust in the brand, why a brand like Patagonia does really well or Apple does really well because they're trusted. It's the same with giving. If a donor um, believes in your brand, not because you have a cool logo or because you tell a cool institutional story, but because they feel known, that's going to make them trust you. And not only is it going to make them give over the long haul, but it's going to make them not shut up to their friends, right? Because when you feel known <laughs> yeah. by somebody, you now you feel like it's not a nonprofit and they're my like sort of a proxy for doing good in the world. Now you feel like you're shoulder to shoulder. You actually feel like you're part of the cause. When you feel known, you start talking about yourself as if you work there almost, right? Yeah. And so that, that sort of building trust and feeling known is critical to scaling uh, generosity. And what a rock star way to make someone feel like a rock star. You know, it's different to say I'm connected, you know, to Heifer International, you know, or I'm a donor to Heifer International. But if you say, no, I know John, uh, like John has reached out to me from Heifer. I mean, he understands that, you know, I like to give uh, through mobile and he thanks me and he keeps Mm -hmm. me updated on impact. I mean, there is a much deeper level. And I just think what you just said about personalization, building trust is so smart and, and brilliant. And I wonder if you could give just our listeners a couple of examples of what they could do easily that could do, that could employ that technique in some way. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a million things. One is just thanking people a lot at the right times and and making them feel like they're known. So super simple things like track your donors' birthdays and have automated ways to send them uh, birthday cards or emails on their birthdays or anniversaries. Like that's like a good little starting point for making somebody feel known. The other is figure out what they're passionate about. And so if somebody, if you do water malaria, somebody cares about water, somebody else cares about malaria, like acknowledge that that's the thing they care about and thank them around that. There's a, an email from an organization that we um, that we looked at that does um, they have doctors in uh, Central America that provide care for kids. Okay, their email that came back said, "Hey, meet Peter. Um, he's the doctor that's working with Estella, this girl in Nicaragua that's facing this problem, and your gift enabled Peter to provide care for Estella. And it's literally a thank you note from this doctor with my name in it." And then a little bit about what it provided for Estella. And then a button at the bottom that says, see more kids like Estella that you could impact. And oh my gosh, hyper, hyper personal, right? So it wasn't like our organization is awesome. It was more like you, Gabe, helped Peter provide care for Estella. You can serve more people like Estella. The organization, it was Watsi's organization, but they almost disappeared in the email, which was amazing. Like in, in the matter of 30 seconds, I now feel like I'm shoulder to shoulder with that organization in the battle on the front lines. Oh, that was such a good example. And to me, the brilliance of that is that the nonprofit is not making itself the hero. They're making the donor the hero. And that is a secret sauce that everybody could employ. If you are saying we, 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 you know, that's too much in an email because it's not about us. It's either about the impact or it's about the donor's ability to invoke the impact. So that is such a great story. Um, I'm really curious about 
virtuous. And um, for those that don't know about your company, um, I wonder if you could share a little bit about the mission, because I think one of the reasons we were so drawn to it is it, it has such incredible core values. I think it aligns so well with our company. It does have such an emphasis on people and work-life balance and family. Um, so can you share a little bit about your mission and how you're helping charities kind of reimagine generosity? Um, yeah, I mean, part, our corporate culture, part of that is just driven by a, a lot of the folks here have families. I got five kids, right? And so if I don't have balance and emotional health in my life, I'm going to to blow up. And so a lot of what we care about is we want to, we want to, work hard but what we say here is we we take our work very seriously we don't take ourselves very seriously we the last thing i want is to go to a job where people aren't having fun and don't enjoy one another so that's a huge part of who we are culturally yeah senior offices very google very open and i love them (laughs) yes yeah that's right that's right but the other big thing is we all care deeply about increasing global generosity right and serving nonprofits, and so that's at the very heart of what we're doing the work we're taking seriously is we want to, um, we talked about the percentage of GDP. I'd love to see America go from five or two and a half percent of GDP to 5% of GDP. Like I'd love to be a part of that generosity growth. And so that's what pushes us. That's what moves us. And so every feature we build is around how do we increase global generosity? Everybody we sell to, that's our goal. We help our customers measure ROI and see how much generosity and net new they're creating in the world. But it even flows down to our team. So everybody on my team um, has to volunteer two hours a week at a nonprofit, not a virtuous customer, just a random nonprofit, and serve them on company time. Like everything we do is is about mobilizing generosity globally. And so it's fun to be a part of. It makes work a lot more fun when you show up at a place like that and everybody's lined up around that same mission. Oh my gosh, we love you guys. <laughs> That's such a great hack. And I think when you set the tone for something like that in your organization, culturally, you're going to get the right people who want to come in and want to lean in and do good. So good on you. Yeah, that's right. And it changes. I mean, it, it does two things. Number one, it like I said, giving changes the heart of the giver. And so I think it just it makes the team um, more humble, more thinking about service. And, and it's just good for the soul. But the other thing it does is it creates a lot of empathy, right? And so if, I mean, you guys deal with nonprofits and talk to nonprofits every day and um, people in nonprofit work, there's a lot of churn and turnover because people tend to get a little bit cynical. And then people in our industry tend to get a little bit cynical sometimes. But there's just something about serving at a nonprofit that just rips that cynicism away. And so now when you show up on a phone call, you show up to serve, you show up to be present, you show up to actually help. And that, that sort of heart shift is so imperative in our space. I love that, man. Preach. More, more companies have got to adopt this and, and develop empathy of their staff and leaders. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that you've lifted the topic of that philanthropy does something within the giver and we're big believers in that too. Is there a story that stuck out to you? I mean, with your decades of working in nonprofit, a story of philanthropy that's really moved you, that stayed with you over the years? You know, there's a there's a, uh, a guy named Brad that lives in Michigan. He wrote a book called uh, I Like Giving. I don't know why this one sticks with me, awesome. uh, but I just love it is that um, his, uh, they had seen 
an article, him and his wife and his kids in the paper about um, a refugee family, maybe Somali refugees, that had had their bikes stolen right after they moved and got transplanted to, I think it was Grand Rapids. And so um, the, him and his family decided they wanted to buy bikes for that family to replace their bikes. And they um, all they had was a newspaper article. They didn't have the name of the family. They just had, you could see their house in the background of the newspaper picture. They literally loaded their family up in a minivan and drove around Grand Rapids for four hours or some ridiculous amount until they see the house from the newspaper picture. Oh my God. They're like, there it is, there it is. We found the house. And so, um, you know, go and end up buying the family uh, new bicycles to replace their stolen bicycles and, you know, tears were shed in the whole nine yards. But I think that went six with me because it's, um, I think we think we get so used to giving to nonprofits that we think about it as a transactional sort of like the, the nonprofit is the, the priest that, that sort of sits between us and the ultimate good we're doing and sort of <laughs> mitigates that relationship. Right. And there's something about that story where it's like, it's not about money. It's about being brought really close to the good you want to accomplish in the world and being crazy about how you go after it. I mean, just the fact that they would do that seems completely insane to an outsider, but through the lens of generosity, it makes perfect sense. I love it. I love (laughs) irrational generosity. I mean, we should start a movement around that because yes, it's generosity. Yes, it's giving. Yes, it's philanthropy development and fundraising. But I think what you said before is at the heart of this. This is empathy. This is humanity. This is people giving to one another and being a light in a way that that works for them. You know, what do you think those children in that minivan will ever forget the experience of driving around and trying to find the house? And and I just think that was a beautiful story about just finding a way that you can be a light to somebody else. So I I can understand why that stayed with you and I love that story. I love it. We had another, just briefly, we had another CEO guy that runs one of the organizations we work with that decided he, he wanted to sort of model what it looked like um, to be in the situation of the people they were serving. So he went and got like, um, like in a boat in the middle of the lake and he was going to stay out there until he raised all this money. And there ended up being massive storms. Like he didn't know this was coming, but massive storms in the town. So all like his friends and family start um, worrying about him, right? Because he's out in like crazy town. And so social media starts lighting up. Like, is he okay? <laughs> like, is he going to survive? So the news channels show up. It's like, what is this guy doing? But it ends up like creating all of this awareness. And so I, it is irrational, right? It's just this brave, crazy thing to do. But I, I kind of wish more of us thought that way. Just take big risk, big swings. You're going to fail. Sometimes failure is okay. And I want nonprofits to hear that loud and clear. Like it's okay to try something brave and fail, but man, oh man, I wish more of us had that sort of irrational. We're just going to go get it mentality. That will be the hashtag for this episode. Irrational (laughs) generosity, irrational creativity, because who knows what space it could move into and touch someone again, to your point at the right time, at the right place. Uh, one of the final questions we ask a lot of our, our, all of our guests is tell us one good thing, one, one good life hack, um, words that we can live by. Do you have one good thing you could share with our audience today, Gabe? Yeah. uh, The most important thing for me in life has been, um, what we call durable relationships. And so 
Um, nobody needs to be in life alone. And so it's not just that you need friends and a community around you, a like-hearted community, is you need people that know all of your flaws and it's durable, meaning it holds up over time. And even on your really dumb days, they're right there with you. And so I think if we don't have that sort of durable community, we're sort of bound to fail and bound to blow up, especially for the ones of us that want to make a big impact and we're hard charging. And so if you don't have that today, go out and seek out those people and really be intentional about building durable relationships with a close-knit community around you. Do you feel like it's prophetic, John, that we started with our number one company value, which is everyone matters, and then Gabe's one good thing is basically our final company value, which is community is everything. (laughs) So that was an excellent one good thing. Durable relationships. Let's chase them. So Gabe, how can folks connect with you and with Virtuous? I'd love to hear a little bit more. Where are y'all out online? Yeah, so virtuous.org is our URL and... um, there's a learn link there with a link to responsive fundraising. And so that's just the short page that describes some of the principles we talked about today. And so if you're just, even if you're not interested in technology, but you just want to learn more about this idea of responsive fundraising, that's a great place to start. Um, you can also find our, our book, Responsive Fundraising, anywhere fine books are sold. And so it'd be worth checking out as well. And are you on social anywhere? Are you on LinkedIn or you're on Twitter? I know you're on Twitter because I think your tweets yes. are awesome and you share some good stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm Virtuous Gabe on Twitter and uh, and Virtuous CRM on Twitter and then on LinkedIn and, and all of the things. Though I've now weaned myself almost entirely off of Insta and Facebook. I, I, I like taking a little bit of a social media break. So, but yeah, Virtuous Gabe on Twitter is a great place to start. Gabe, you're a delight. I enjoyed this conversation so much. I just am rooting for you and your company and this just great idea that you're putting out into the world. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation with Gabe. We love the conversation around engaging all donors like major gift donors. That's some powerful thinking. You know we love sharing our best content with you. And today we have some good news. Our free workshop, Write Less, Engage More, Leveraging a Syndication Mindset is now live. You can check it out at weareforgood.com slash workshops. And one more thing, if you love this podcast, would you mind leaving us a rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find this community. Thanks so much, friends. Our production hero who kindly edited out all of my ums and oohs is Julie Confer. Hello. Our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Thanks for being here, everybody. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.